everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Talking Pharmacy podcast, where we take a look back at what's been happening in pharmacy over the last week or so. My name is Richard Thomas. I'm the editor of Pharmacy Magazine. Join me on the pod this week are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist, and Helena Beer, editor of Training Matters. No pod last week, so lots to discuss. But first, uh, a very quick shout out to two friends of the pod. Rob Davis, who listens to us as he clocks up the miles around the highways and byways of Wrexham, North Wales. And the wonderful Claire Ward, who puts up with our ramblings during her Saturday morning ramble. So hello to both. But let's get cracking with Good Week, Bad Week. So let's start with Good Week. Arthur, what do you have for us? Yeah, I always seem to go for an interesting week rather than out and out and out good. But I'm sort of once again sort of intrigued but not jubilant about the news that there could be a pump to peace switch for the contraceptive pill desigestrol with the MHRA in the first week of a three-week consultation. Um, now, making the pill into something a woman can buy over the counter after a consultation with a pharmacist certainly provides another option, which is you know very important, particularly in the context of the pandemic when services may be harder to access. And, uh, and I believe would bring the UK in line with other countries in Europe. Uh, the RPS and the family, family planning charity uh, BPAS or BPAS have both said that widening access will be a positive thing, though the latter is keen to stress that it should be made available at an affordable price. And um, I believe we're still some way from knowing what it's going to cost. Uh, but I have heard sort of not quite opposing arguments, but sceptical skeptical arguments about this and whether it's as much of a boon for, for women's health as it is for you know, a company's pump to pee pipeline. I mean, it is, of course, something that's available free of co- free of charge to women uh, after a GP consultation. So is there going to be that much demand for, for you know, something that you have to pay for? Uh, Helen, I know you wanted to come in on this. So what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Arthur. I think, as we know, like access to sexual health services is declining. Abortion rates are at their highest since the Abortion Act was introduced over 10 years ago. Um, and I think while it's good that there'd be another access point for contraception, that, that positivity can't be disputed. If it helps some women, then all the better. But in my opinion, offering um, a paid for option isn't the best way to go. And we talked a few weeks ago about period poverty and how some women can't afford appropriate sanitary protection each month. So how on earth are they meant to be able to afford contraception? I think the amount of women who would have enough disposable income each month to pay for it would actually be quite small, Um, especially when, as it should be, um, it's available for for free from a GP surgery or sexual health clinic. Yes, there are access issues to these services, um, worse in some areas than others. Um, and it might take a bit of forward planning uh, to, to get an appointment, but contraception, free contraception is available. And I think that's where the issue is, um, access to this free service. That's where time and investment um, need to be prioritised and improved. Um, preventing the closure of sexual health services would be a brilliant first step and go some way to tackling these uh, kind of inequalities and giving all women free and easy access. Um, but I think it needs to go further than that. There needs to be a national free service through more NHS care settings. So if there was a PGD, the option for independent prescribers to offer access, that would be the ideal, um, in my opinion. And 
women could just pop into their local pharmacy instead of waiting an age for a GP appointment for something that pharmacists are more than able to advise on and dispense. And I agree that the potential pom to pee switch is a good thing overall. And as you say, like it's it's a really big leap for medicines classification, but this particular switch, I think, brings other issues surrounding women's health into the spotlight too. Um, and it kind of shows that there's a long way to go, really. Yeah, that's very interesting arguments. I totally get where you're coming from, Arthur and Helena. Um, and the price point, of course, hasn't come out yet. Um, presumably that'll be after the public consultation. Um no, I think it's a very good move. My view would be it's a, it's a, it is a very good move. I think anything that, that widens access to the pill at a time when sexual health services and contraceptive services across the country are, are, are in meltdown, I think it fulfills a you know, really important public health need. Um, I mean, you're right, Helena, we have one of the worst rates of unintended pregnancies in Europe, and I think it's nearly 200,000 induced abortions in 2018. Anything that makes a dent in those figures has to be a good thing. I think it's also interesting, there is evidence to show, quite a lot of evidence to show, actually, that this uh, supply of a contraception in this way, OC in this way, does improve effective contraceptive uptake further down the line. But, I mean, I, I agree with you as it, as it happens, Helen. I think uh, OC provision should be a commissioned NHS service, uh, and I agree with that that, that totally. I still think this is a, a reclassification that's long overdue. I think it, it can make an impact. Uh, Progestogen-only oral contraceptives are safe. There's less risk of serious adverse effects. So, yes, make them available from pharmacy with all the expert professional advice on hand. And, you know, let's start to tackle some of those uh, alarming statistics. Do you have anything to add to that, Rob? Yeah, I think I'm broadly with you, Richard in a way i mean first of all i think we should if this comes around post the consultation and there is a new pharmacy option uh, i think that's a good thing um i think there are also some gaps in provision you know the um i think when uh, ehc is supplied there's supposed to be a conversation about future contraceptive needs and i think having an option uh, available at the time uh, is a good thing and i think there are also potentially gaps between getting assessed for a uh, long-acting uh, injectable is is potentially a problem. There's a gap between agreeing that that should be the right course of action and then actually having the device implanted, and I think there's maybe an op option there. Um, I, I also am very uh, suspicious of any thought that the government might actually step in and put more money in. And I was going to talk this this week about the um, about the what appears to be good news about extra funding for drug treatment services. And on the face of it, it is quite good news that they're going to put 168 million, I think it was, 128 million, something like that, in, into drug treatment services. But that's against the backdrop of year-on-year-on-year -year -year cuts to drugs, drug misuse services. And we've had, I think, record poisonings as a result of uh, drugs in 2018, I think the last figures I've seen is a record 4,359. So waiting around for the government, I think, to do the right thing is, is we could be waiting for a long time. Yeah, that's a good point. And that kind of echoes what Martin Bennett was, was saying, wasn't it, a couple, of, uh, a couple of weeks ago on the pod, that uh, the whole situation regarding methadone administration and funding is in a mess. Um, 
And yeah, they might be putting in more money now, but I think money's come out of the service since about 2015. So yeah, okay, we maybe shouldn't hold our breath for the uh, the government to, to pour the money into public health services, which um, they desperately need, actually. But yeah. Okay, that was a very interesting debate. Thank you for that all. Um, Helena, who's had a good week for you? Um, my good week is a bit of a shameless plug on our part, um, but last night we held um, a webcast on the role of community pharmacy in tackling antimicrobial resistance. Um, that was in partnership with DIFLAM. Um, this is always a topic that I find fascinating, and I know a lot of our magazine readers do um, as well. It's always a very popular topic when we look at our uh, look at our analytics, and I have to say that it was a brilliant and really informative webcast. So, um, Diane, the lead pharmacist for Public Health England's AMR program, the font of all knowledge on all things AMR, um, gave a brilliant presentation. Um, Mike Maguire, who's done incredible work in the Northeast designing, implementing and managing a reduced, reducing antibiotic prescribing project in community pharmacy and general practice, chatted about his experiences and advice for others. Um, it's a great case study and one that I think lots of people will be able to, to learn from. Um, and then it was concluded with a very entertaining presentation from Enrico Ravelli from Angelina Pharma as he discussed the appropriate advice for patients with sore throat. So one of the main self-limiting conditions where antibiotics are on the whole not required. Um, I won't spoil it for anybody, but it's worth a watch to see peak enthusiasm for this topic. Um, and you might just learn something too. Um, so as with all our webcasts, it's available to view on demand on the Pharmacy Magazine website. Yeah, nothing wrong with shameless plugs, Helena. Um, it was a webcast that had everything, didn't it? It had fireworks, it had Champions League updates. Um, yeah, but more importantly, some excellent guidance and advice on, on implementing good antimicrobial stewardship in community pharmacy from, yeah, Dr. Diane Asheridofa from Public Health England and others. Uh, yeah, thanks for that, Helena. Check it out on the Pharmacy Magazine website. Um, Neil, what about you? Who's had a good week? Yeah, afternoon, Richard. Um, I've gone for Mark Coziel. Uh, at the Pharmacists Defence Association. Um, I interviewed him this week uh, about you know, what the PDA are up to, what they've been doing, been very busy during this pandemic, um, as we all have, and um, talking about the COVID vaccination rollout um, within community pharmacy. And, uh, of course, this comes on the back of the PDA's call for number 10 to use all 13,500 community pharmacies in the country, in England, to deliver second doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine. Um, rather an ambitious vision. I, I, don't, I personally don't see any reason why that should happen. I think that should happen. But uh, yep, we, we we had a good conversation, and he, he was very philosophical, very um, you know, very uh, optimistic about about things. Took a very positive tone. He, you know, he said that you know, many community pharmacists being uncomfortable with NHS England's use of that horrible term that we all hate so much, clinical pharmacist, uh, to refer to you know, pharm GP pharmacists. He argued that. A strong role in the vaccine program could actually help um, to sort of dispel some of those horrible myths and perceptions that we have amongst policymakers and government government ministers that the sector is focused on 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 shopkeeping and retail, and they are clinical. We don't need to say that, do we? So um, it was a very very positive uh, uh, sort of interview with with Mark. Um, he said that uh, you know a, a wide scale rollout of the COVID vaccine program would demonstrate for community pharmacy unequivocally that it's really interested and ambitious in developing these clinical relationships with patients. And I think he's got a really good point. Um, you know, I think, yes, first and foremost, we want, you know, pharmacies, we want as many people as possible to be rolling out, qualified people to be rolling out the vaccines so we can beat this 
horrible pandemic and get back to normality. And that's that's the first thing. But I, as far as pharmacy is concerned, there's an, there is a really a, 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 an added significance to this. There really is. And he, and he hit the nail on the head, did Mark. Um, yeah, it would show absolutely that, that pharmacies can uh, can develop these clinical relationships with patients. They, they do it all the time. We know that. But, you know, people, people outside of pharmacy maybe don't, and particularly the government. This is showing unequivocally that they are doing that. And I think it's taken a global health pandemic to actually prove to the government just how important community pharmacies is to the NHS. I don't know about you guys, but I haven't heard government ministers, certainly not a prime minister, mentioning the word community pharmacy or even independent pharmacy as much as we've heard over the last uh, couple of months or so. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, Mark took a very, very uh, positive tone. Um, and I, I think whether you agree with this or not, I don't know, but he, you know, he did go on to say that, you know, ultimately this, this, this could actually help us to avoid the kind of horrible cuts that we've we've suffered, or the, the sector has suffered, uh, in the last sort of five or six years. You know, once we show that, that once pharmacists show that they are if they they are really important, clinically significant um, in in that in that way. So it was it was a very positive. Mark raised some really important, I thought, really important points. Um, and fair play to. We'll have to wait and see whether or not it, it plays out as he's as he's described it. Maybe some people might think it's. Uh, a bit fanciful to say that, you know, as significant as the COVID vaccination rollout is, whether that's going to, you know, dissuade the government from carrying on with their funding cuts and, and all the other things that are not going quite pharmacies way. I, mean, I don't know. But nevertheless, positivity from Mark and, 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 and a lot of good points raised. So Mark Posiol for me is a good week for him. Yeah, oh, I, I shall, um, I look out for that. Is that um, published now, Neil, or is it, is it up and coming? That will be up and coming. That'll be in our next edition, the March edition. So, uh, yeah. Right. OK. Uh, um, I'll definitely look out for that. And I think there's a news story online. Yes. Well, yeah, Mark's, Mark's good value does say some, some interesting things there. I mean, yeah, we, it remains to be seen whether the pharmacy's reaction um, and response to COVID um, persuades the Treasury, which seems to be the problem at the moment. But, yeah, um, points well made by Mark by the sound of it. Um, I think it's about Mark and the PGA when it when it comes out to to mapping out the future for pharmacy. You know, he is one of the the, the most progressive thinkers out there, and and, and always worth listening to, um, even if you may not agree with you know, some of the PGA's tactics from time to time. And does a lot of excellent stuff, to be fair. Um, and its campaign uh, to get pharmacists and BAME patient vaccinated at the moment, um, really good stuff. So yeah, I, I should look out for that that interview. Um, it sounds really good, Neil. And I think. That brings us to me, and I'm going to talk about very quickly about vaccines as well. Um, good week, well, another good week for all our pod listeners who are on the COVID vaccination front line. Now, we talked to some of them for a feature in our uh, February issue, and it honestly was one of the most uplifting of reads. Uh, I thought it was brilliant. The reactions of patients receiving their jab. You know, the, the pharmacist told us some in tears, not having left the house in nearly a year, were were marvellous. And uh, one quote from our, our good friend, Mike Holden, who is doing some jabbing himself and stood out for me. He said, this is the most professionally rewarding job that I've ever done, uh, which is quite an incredible thing to say, really. And there were lots of other comments in a similar vein. And it was great stuff. Really good. And and now, finally, you know, to pick up on your point, Neil, um, it looks like more pharmacies will be joining the COVID vaccination effort following the brilliant contribution of these early starters with the lower minimum threshold of 400 vaccines, perhaps opening the way for, for wider engagement. Um, we've been calling for that for a long time and uh, it looks like it, it, we may be one step 
closer to that happening. So good news all around and good week for those pharmacists on the COVID vaccination front line. Uh, what do you think of that, Neil? Well, uh, well, I certainly I think we'll all celebrate the fact that they've, they've lowered the threshold to 400 vaccines a, a week. It much more takes the pressure off a little bit. And it, yeah, and it, the more pharmacists, the better. Absolutely. And I just... As, as, as great as it is, and you give the government credit for the, the vaccine rollout, they've done it. They can't be faulted um, in any shape or form. But I, I just as far as pharmacy is concerned, it's still great. I feel for them. I really do. That they, they, you know, Lindsay Fairbrother, our, our winner, for example, um, our independent pharmacist of the year. You know, she she's been working and her team have been working, you know, absolutely tirelessly to, to, to roll the vaccines out. And she said it's one of the it's the toughest thing she's ever had to do in her career. Um, uh, uh, fulfilling as it is, the toughest thing she's ever had to do. And, and I really feel for pharmacists all over the country that are rolling out these vaccines and really going the extra mile and you know, performing a, a critical role here. But And yet it's to the backdrop, we, we keep going on about it, to the backdrop of these horrid horrid cuts and to, and a lack of support from the government. Um, and one of the questions I asked Mark was, you know, why... I won't go into the interview in detail, but one of the questions I asked him was why should... Why, you know, bearing in mind we have this pharmacy has to put up with this in the background, you know, Mark Simon Duke saying they're not getting anywhere in the negotiations. Well, you know, there should be a little bit of comeback from the government. Let's meet the COVID costs. Let's 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 support pharmacy. They're doing a great thing for the NHS as well. They're, they're a vital part of the NHS with COVID rollout. Let's 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 have a bit of um, leeway here. So I really do. I really feel for pharmacists at the moment with it as well. Yeah, yeah, we all do. And um, we said it so many times. So the very fact that those. COVID costs still haven't been covered after what nearly a year and all the promises, you know, it, it is outrageous. It's 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 politically wrong. It's morally wrong. And uh, well, Boris Johnson is on the case. Let's see uh, if he can apply any pressure to the Treasury, shall we? Um, OK, thanks, everybody. Uh, that's all our good weeks done. So bad weeks next. <laughs> Arthur, let's start with you. Who's had a bad week for you? Okay, I'm going to be cheeky and go for two bad weeks. The first being a brief mention, and um, we just got a story up yesterday. Uh, a new NHS data showing, showing that sodium valproate was prescribed to 180 pregnant women between April 2018 and September 2020. Uh, it, of course, carries a serious risk of birth defects and developmental disorders when taken in pregnancy. Um, so pharmacists do... Um, Keep an eye out for this, as I'm, as I'm sure you do. Um, but the standout bad news of the week for me has to be uh, Lloyd's Pharmacy, with uh, Sky News reporting that, according to their city sources, the US parent company McKesson is seeking to offload the ailing multiple to the highest bidder. Um, McKesson is refusing to comment on what it calls rumours, and of course, nothing has been confirmed, but I presume Sky would feel pretty confident in its sources to blast this all over the internet as it's done. And they were right about boot store closures in 2019. Also, the fact that Lloyd seems to have written to staff asking them to keep stum hardly bodes well, I wouldn't think. Uh, we don't know yet whether McKesson is exploring a sale of all its UK operations, which also includes, of course, AAH and the online pharmacy Echo, which has had an extremely successful pandemic. But it's definitely not looking good for Lloyd's, which has never really recovered from government funding cuts, despite what seems like round after round of efficiency saving, including closing over 200 stores. Uh, in terms of pharmacists employed by Lloyd's and their livelihoods, I spoke to Paul Day recently from the PDA union, who are now representing Lloyd's pharmacists. He said one of the big question marks is whether McKesson offloads the entire Lloyd's estate or divides it up to multiple sellers. 
but that the PDA will seek to represent pharmacists' interests in any eventuality. Uh, curious to hear your thoughts on why Lloyd is doing so badly. Uh, obviously, it hasn't been great for any of the multiples over the past few years with the funding cuts, but Lloyd seems to do particularly badly and seems to that you hear constantly, you constantly get these stories about having to make savings, close stores and so on. Is it underinvestment? I mean, you do a lot of the Lloyd stores in the high street seem to be quite sort of drab and forlorn looking. I mean, wh- where do you think Lloyd has gone wrong? I'm, I'm, I'm just, well, the, the first thing that struck me was, uh, I, I can't, it's, I'm really surprised it's taken till now, to be honest. I mean, you know, three years ago, you, you had um, an announcement that they were going to sell off, uh, or they, they had uh, Celestia at the time that, that announced that they'd sold 190 of its pharmacy stores in England because they weren't commercially viable. That was 2017. And that was all because of government policy on reimbursement and, and retrospective clawbacks over the previous two years. Um, and ever since, to be honest, it's been downhill, hasn't it, for Lloyd's, I think. I mean, I, I, I'm just really surprised it's taken this long to, to, um, to, to, to get to the stage where they are now. And, and there may be a focus, a, a heavier focus on online Lloyd's pharmacy, looking more to sort of the digital side of things rather than investing in the bricks and mortar side of the, of the business. So I'm not, I'm, it's totally and utterly un, unsurprising to me this. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just amazed that it, it's taken this long, really. Yeah, so, I mean, we should stress that the company has declined to comment on this, this press speculation, as they call it, and we will have to wait and see, I guess. But, I mean, very worrying times for, for pharmacy teams at the company at the moment. And, Rob, what do you make of Lloyd's travails? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think everything's relative. I mean, that's one thing to say, first of all. You know, there's a there's a return on investment for a, an independent business, and we all know that those have been hit as well by the, uh, the pandemic. Uh, but there's also a return on investment for a corporate chain. And maybe they're not making what McKesson uh, as a business expects them to make. I, I also think it's interesting that, you know, Lloyd's Pharmacy got to the number of stalls it, it's got through a, a particular acquisitive process. And um, I mean, I've been around long enough to remember them hoovering up small chain after small chain after small chain um, when Alan Lloyd was around and, and, and on the acquisition trail. And I was, I'm also been around long enough to remember when um, Lloyd's was bought originally by Gaia, uh, who at the time owned AAH. And I think um, what was interesting around that time was uh, as one of the people who did surveys of the, uh, of the group for, uh, for, I was working for Moss at the time. What was very clear from a number of the Lloyd sites was that the thing that the Department of Health constantly comes back to when thinking about pharmacy locations, and we've seen a bit of that with the current arguments about pharmacy numbers, is this this thing about clustering and about having a number of pharmacies in a particular location. When we did the surveys of, of Lloyd's in the mid-90s, uh, uh, a number of those clusters were purely of of pharmacies in the Lloyd's group. Now, I know they've had some shakeouts and there have been stores sold along the way, but I think we've also got maybe a, a group which is bigger than it needs to be. And I think we've also seen, you know, a slightly different attack being taken with Walgreens Boots Alliance, who are divesting themselves of the, the um, distribution business uh, in the UK. So, I mean, these large global multinationals have got different hurdle rates and different ways of seeing the future. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure ultimately it comes down to purely down to the 
to the performance of the of the Lloyd's pharmacy business and whether they've got their strategy and tactics right. Okay, Neil, you want to come in again? Uh... Yeah, I just wanted to ask Rob, Rob what he thought about. Um, do you do you think in terms of Lloyd's and, and maybe Boots and some of the other big players, do you think there's a a, a, an increasing focus on the, the online business, perhaps I'm not saying neglecting the, the bricks and mortar business, but do you think that these, these guys are starting to edge a bit more towards online? Is, do you think that's playing a, a big part in some of this? I, I, think they're, I think they're playing much more multi-channel, Neil, you know, that, that actually given that consumers are, are going online and have, uh, that's been given a big fill up through the pandemic, uh, you know, all of the, the large groups are looking at an online channel for consumers who want to go down that route. Uh, whether it's all all your eggs in one basket, though, I'm not so sure. And I, I think there is a challenge to uh, in that route because you, you kind of take yourself away from one of pharmacy's USPs, which is that you can have a conversation with a trained health professional without an appointment uh, pretty much, you know, certainly any time during the day and in many, many places late into the evening as well. And I think that while online for medicines is good for some, uh, the vast majority of heavy users of pharmacy services are not the online tech savvy uh, sort of people that they are, you know, still skewed towards more elderly people who actually like to talk to somebody about their problems and not necessarily do that talking on a screen or on a phone. Yeah, Arthur, um, you, you've been following this very closely, obviously, and reported on it. So reflecting now, what do you what do you make of it? And where, where do you think this will go? Yeah, just sort of following on from from Rob's point there about multi-channel, sort of how likely do you think it is that that McKesson would hang on to, to Echo, which after all has been very successful during the pandemic. It's almost vying with Pharmacy to you as the, the second biggest um online pharmacy how likely do you think it is that it would sort of cherry pick its uk operations rather than seek to to offload everything i mean i think that's a really interesting question arthur it it strikes me that echo as a solus operation would be missing something and that there is a you know there is a value to having uh, both um i mean we all know how people feel about pharmacy to you and the fact that it doesn't have um pure face-to-face uh, options uh, so uh, you know I, I I'd find that really really fascinating if they were to, to to lose that as well I mean it is very successful I think it's uh, it seems to be growing very very rapidly um, so yeah I think it's an I think it's a really interesting one I, I can't quite see it myself I, that's the bit that doesn't add up to me is either you I guess you have to sell both or you you sell neither so yeah, Lloyd's continuing troubles, I suppose, uh, receiving a a wide airing this week. Um, all I would say is, you know, this, this story will develop, I'm sure. But uh, the pharmacy teams uh, in Lloyd's themselves are are one of the best in the sector. They do a terrific job, and um, I have a lot of sympathy for them at the moment when all this speculation is going on in the press because uh, they have some outstanding teams within that within that estate so okay we'll see where that goes um bad week who's next neil who's had a bad week for you yeah well this, this was a a bit of a tough one for me i i kind of agonized over a little bit um, because you could go either way with this one but um i've gone for the npa and i've gone for andrew lane uh and his comments to 
I think it was a Guardian newspaper, uh, in which he said that some pharmacists, some some uh, uh, pharmacists, NPA members are considering striking uh, because of the, the situation that they're in at the moment. The government's refusal to, to write off uh, debt and, and 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 lack of funding, lack of support, um, and I. Yes, look, there's one there's one view you could take here. It's that if you know, I'm not saying this is not true. I'm I'm, I'm sure this is true. I'm, I'm I'm not saying the NPA are calling the government's bluff here. But if it's true, then yeah, it's it, fair play. And and actually, do you know what? I think it's a great thing that they've 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 brought this to everybody's attention. Uh, there's a view that it could be bad PR for the community pharmacy sector generally. You know, pharmacy striking that's not that's not a good look for pharmacy. But do you know what? You know, I think a lot of, you know the dire situation that a lot of pharmacies are in at the moment. Some of them on the brink of closing. Some of them have already closed. I think it needs to be set out, put out there, and and I would give him some credit for that. Um, but where I've, what well, the reason I've put them into the, the, the bad week uh, category is because I, you know, they haven't really provided any more details. It's all rather vague, uh, and it doesn't come across as, as particularly. Uh, I, I don't know what it's achieved since he said it. This was just over, I think, about eight, seven, eight days ago. I don't know what it's achieved since. We did a story on it. We got a bit, bit of reaction on Twitter, but I don't know. You know, what, the Guardian obviously ran the story. I don't know what, what whether government ministers have looked at this and thought, oh, "Blimey, we don't want pharmacy strike, and we better we better jump too." So I don't know what it's what it's what it's what it's what purpose it served, um, and whether it'll have any effect on the on the government on government thinking. Um, and we asked the NPA, you know, well, if you're going to come out with something that that profound and that and that you know serious, let's have a bit more detail. How many of your how many of your members are, are considering striking? Give us an answer to that. What proportion? What percentage? It could be, for all we know, one or two one or two pharmacists have rung up the NPA office and just said, you know what, I'm, I've had enough. I'm going to probably strike if this carries on. We need to know more, a bit more detail. And they didn't provide that detail, uh, the NPA, which I, I found rather frustrating. And this is what they said. They said, what NPA spokesman said, the NPA has repeatedly called for fair funding and the government promises government promises to be met. Given that so many people are relying on pharmacies during this pandemic, the NPA would be reluctant to support any action that impairs patient care. But we understand the very strong feelings behind the idea of protests. It's a live conversation in some places. The fact it's talked about at all is a sign of how bad the situation has become. And that's all very well. And, we, and that's, uh, I wouldn't disagree with any of that. You know, and, and the, the NPA have made it clear they don't, they don't support any, anything that would, would you know, deny patient access to pharmacies. But... Let's have some more information. How how many? Let's have, let's have a proportion of NPA members. Deal, deal. This this is the old white coats will march on Downing Street story. Yeah. It comes up roughly once every five years. It's uh, there's no appetite for it. I, I I think my view would be that I wonder whether the Guardian overreported Andrew's comments. Maybe he was caught on the back foot. I mean, strike action is is, is always a non-starter uh, as far as I'm concerned. Rob, what did uh, you make of that Guardian story and Andrew's comments? I, I'm with you. I think you. I think you might have got just kind of as part of a conversation. You say, "Well, what's your next steps then? What are you going to go on strike?" And, they, and he and he said, "Well, one or two of our members are thinking about it." Um, I wondered whether we had a um, like you. I think I, I wonder whether we had a a sound effect of a very very long sigh. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I mean, it, yeah. the unions will tell you that strike action is absolutely their last resort, and there's a bit of there's a bit of a run up to that, I think, which in which people get increasingly sort of strident. And um, while I'm here, do you want me to do my bad week? Because it's kind of linked. I was going to say bad week for the pharmacy PR people, because I mean, you've already mentioned it. I think the Prime Minister on prime time TV 
said, I will want to make sure they are reimbursed as soon as possible. Now, regardless of what you think of the Prime Minister and the fact that, you know, uh, personally, I think he says what people like to hear a bit too often. But he was asked a direct question about reimbursement of pharmacy costs incurred due to the coronavirus. And he said, I will want to make sure they are reimbursed as soon as possible. So it's no good the pharmacy organisations telling us what they think about those comments, as indeed they have, and that it's you know, nice for the Prime Minister to recognise and maybe now it's got to the Prime Minister's desk, something will happen. I would have liked to have seen, do you know what, there are, there are five daytime bus routes that run past the Palace of Westminster. The 11, the 24, the 88, the 87, the 91. There are nine <laughs> night buses that run past the Palace of Westminster. I would stick those words on the side of a bus. It's the language Boris understands. And I would have those buses running for the next few weeks, reminding him of what he had to say about reimbursing community pharmacists for the money they've spent protecting the country through protecting their own staff. Now, it's not that expensive to put these words on the side of a bus. So I've done a little bit of research. You can have billboards down Whitehall for about £200 a week. Uh, you can have the sides of buses, anything from £110 a week. Now, I don't know how many of the 11s, 24s, 88s, 87s and 91s run past Whitehall. But, you know, for a few grand, there's got to be a bit of an option. It at least make people smile, even if it didn't make the government turn tack and, and all the rest of it. Um, it's just a pity the way that those those press conferences are, are staged that um, uh, Nigel Pratis from the PJ didn't get a chance for a follow-up because what he should actually have said, I think, is, well, Prime Minister, if that's what you think, perhaps you ought to have a word with Steve Barclay at the Treasury because he seems to be stopping pharmacists getting paid. But anyway, hold him to his words, but make it, make it visible and make it a really important part of the dialogue. Finally, some sad news to finish. We were very sorry on the pod to hear of the death from COVID of Professor Joy Wingfield earlier this week. Joy was one of the leading authorities on pharmacy law and ethics through her work with the RPSGB, Boots, University of Nottingham, and latterly the Pharmacy Law and Ethics Association. Uh, she was a frequent contributor to the pharmacy press, a fantastic educator, and a lively character with a very dry sense of humour. Uh, she was lovely and she will be very much missed. That's it for the pod this week. We'll be back next week. Thanks very much for listening. Thank <laughs> you.